give it up one more time for Alexi and Ed. And, you know, there is no substitute for longevity. And it's one thing to do something for a long time, but it's another thing to, to do something for a long time when, when it's by nature the thing that makes other people frustrated. Um, and by nature, they make you frustrated because you're trying to keep them accountable. And man, I can say I, I was a part of helping her to be frustrated over the last few years. And, uh, but uh, we honor you, Alexi and Ed and, and being pillars. Uh, you know, I, I, um, I think about in the New Testament it describes some of, some of those characters that were like pillars that held the church together that, that God could build on. And um, all the way 25 years ago, none of us got to see that moment. And I, didn't, I don't think I ever knew that you guys gave the first gift. And so I appreciate that seed. Uh, and we appreciate that seed. We are all the fruit of that. So can we honor Alexi one more time? And Ed and your family. And uh, Brittany's here. Those early days in our house. Some special, special moments. I took my rubber band ball apart. And uh, I remember being frustrated about that. It's been a while since I've brought that up. <laughs> okay. Hey, um, we got baptisms at the end of service, both services. We got a bunch next service, and so uh, it's going to be a good day. And not only that, it's Thanksgiving week. Hey, uh, can, I, can I get a survey from people who's already got their Christmas tree up? How many of you think it's evil to have your Christmas tree up before Thanksgiving? <laughs> Can I share my philosophy? Everybody, here's the deal. Everybody loves Christmas time. You can't lie and say that you don't. You may not like Christmas music, but Christmas time, it's magical. So why would you want it short? Here's what I think, here's what I think though. There's a time and a place, there's a season, right? There's seasons for everything, right? So here's, what, here's my philosophy. November 1st, as early as November 1st, you can set it up. We did ours November 5th, okay? November 5th? November 1st is acceptable. I, if you're doing it on Halloween, I, you know, you go on with your bad self. That's a little early in my opinion, but I understand it. But then I'm talking like after 9 p.m. on Christmas Day is when it's start, time to start taking it down. Christmas Day, December 26th, Christmas is over. I just hurt a lot of people's feelings. As for me and my house, we're taking our tree down on December 26th. Noel is not in agreement with me, but we're getting there, okay? All right, all right. Hey, we're, we're concluding our series today. Uh, me and my house, everyone say, me and my house. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is my house. Uh, and the whole point of this series is that we would be in alignment um, with God as we build our houses and our, not just our homes, not everybody here is a parent. Some of you are your young, your, your, your future parents, your, your young adults, your people with your kids are out of the house. And so there's all kinds of ranges, but really we want to think of this not just as our home, but our sphere of influence, our, our, our family, our friendships, our work, our, our, the space that God has given us, the stewardship that he's given us, that in those spaces that we would have a me and my house spirit. Our text that we've gone through every single week through this series is Joshua chapter 24 
In verse 15, this is our theme verse, and Joshua is saying to the, to the leaders of Israel, if, the, if, the, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether it's the gods that your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're now currently living, then so be it. But as for me and my house, I would say me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And oh, thank you for repeating that one too. I appreciate it. And this is the posture that we want to have. And this is not a reactive posture. It's a preemptive one. We need to have this before pressures come so that during the pressures we would maintain it, that we would see through to the other side of whatever pressure that you might face or that we as a nation or a culture would face. I want to turn your attention to Matthew chapter 6 today, Matthew 6 and verse 28. And uh, we're going to read a few verses there. It's just Jesus, and uh, it's the Sermon on the Mount. And one of his famous, kind of his first kind of on the scene like moment. There'd been rumblings and rumors and kind of some reputation about who Jesus was. But this is his like, his like, I'm here. This is my moment and his first sermon. Very subversive and we don't have time uh, to spend nine weeks on just going all the way through this. But this is about midway through the Sermon on the Mount. In verse 28, it says this. And why, why do you worry about clothes? It's Jesus speaking. See how the flowers of the field grow, they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, who was super rich, in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the fields, which is here today and gone tomorrow and thrown into the fire, then will he not much more clothe you, and in this case, and your family, you of little faith. So he's poking at something here. So don't worry saying, what will we eat? What do we drink? What do we wear? For the pagans, they run after these things. They make this their main thing. And your heavenly father knows that you need them, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself and each day has enough trouble of its own. I wanna speak on this idea for the next few minutes. First things first, first things first. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes and let's pray and believe that God's gonna speak to us today on this Baptism Sunday. God, thank you for your, your presence. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your life. God, just thank you for that time in worship. Uh, God, where we got to, to honor you. And uh, God, we just thank you that your presence is in this place. We thank you, God, for stories like Alexi and Ed who have given their lives in, in a step of faith all the way back to when it did not make sense that they were the people who Jesus would say, you have big faith. We thank you, God, that we have the opportunity to follow in that example today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So Jesus, in this moment, he, it's a sermon on the mountain. He sees the crowds, right? And the, there's, there's kind of like these two layers. It's him and his crew, and it's the crowds around. And at this point, like I said, Jesus had been kind of causing a stir, who he was, what he was going to represent, and people are wondering, is this the dude? Is he the Messiah? And so Jesus has already got a reputation before he's really given his first, like, major public appearance sermon. So he's with his guys, but then there's this outer ring of crowds of people. 
So what it says is that Jesus goes up on a hilltop, sits on this little hill. I'm thinking like in a big park kind of thing. That's the image that I get. He's sitting on a hill and he's got his guys around, but then he's got everybody else on the periphery. So he starts having this public conversation back and forth with his close disciples, knowing that everybody around was listening in on the conversation. So you know that he's saying things that he knows are going to poke at uh, the mentality of the people in those days. I mean, you see this plenty of times where Jesus would, even with his closest disciples who know him, who trust him, who call him friend and rabbi and leader, that even they would have moments where Jesus would say something and it was so subversive and disorienting, they'd be like, Jesus, what are you talking about? So he knows he's going to be doing this at a meta level here. And he sits down with the crowds and he's talking with his disciples and he's having this conversation and he starts to say things like, don't worry about what you're going to wear or what you're gonna drink or what you're going to eat fully knowing well that the crowd was full of people who were wondering, what am I going to wear? What am I going to drink? How am I going to fill up my gas tank? How am I going to keep my job in this economy? How am I going to pay rent? How am I going to send my kids to school? How am I going to get back to school shopping, Christmas shopping? How are we going to make it into the new year? I would imagine that in this space today, many, if not all of us, have that question at some place in our lives. And Jesus, if he were sitting in the room, might say something that is, without context, really frustrating to hear. He would say, hey, don't worry. You ever sat with someone, explained your problem, and they're like, dude, just trust God. Trust God, bro. And you're like, I want to punch you in the face. Because it's so like, hey, you're kind of bypassing my feelings here and my real issue. Jesus does this to an extent. Don't worry. And then he says, have faith. Hashtag faith over fear, right? (laughs) Don't worry. Have faith. Seek my kingdom first and you'll have everything that you need. And so if we look at this at a surface level, it is frustrating. But I want to define a couple terms and I think we'll have them on the screen. I want to define three terms here. Seek first, his kingdom, and his righteousness. So we're going to define these. Seek first means literally in the, in the, in the Greek to, to overtly and intentionally order things one over another. To intentionally prioritize and put one certain thing as more important than another. So when, God is, when Jesus here is saying, seek first, he's saying there's an order of priorities here. There are things that are significant, but there are things that are more significant. We see this in culture where what is happening is there's an invitation to create things, to, to take things that in and of themselves matter. Like Jesus would never diminish how significant something is, but he, he wants to make sure that you understand that in the kingdom, there's a list of priorities and certain things come first, always. They're not contextual. Um, the season of life that you're in, the pressures that you're feeling do not change the list of priorities. We need to understand this in the kingdom. So he says, seek first, meaning to intentionally and overtly order one thing over another. But his kingdom, that's the second word, means the rule of God. So when you think of the kingdom of God, it's the, it's the rule, it's the influence, the, his power, his territory, his oversight. I like to say it, wherever his presence is, his, his presence, the kingdom of God, the presence of God, the nearness of God, the, the sphere of God's influence, we are in the kingdom of God. 
We are within his influence. Not only that, his, in, his kingdom it resides, if you're a believer in Jesus, on the inside of you. Which means you now have a king and it is not you. Not your mind, not your brain, not your plans. All of those things, friends, they matter and they matter to God, but they do not matter more. That, like they never take the seat that God sits in. He's the only one who sits on the throne. And when the kingdom is on the inside of you, he sits on the throne of your life, your heart, your soul. So his kingdom, the rule of God, the presence of God, and then the third, his righteousness, which is the standard of God. The standard of God. His word, his ethic, his justice, his aim are like this, his priorities. So if I could put it this way for your home, as you imagine your house, your family, your kids, your future, your plans, your ideas, your ambitions, all of the things that you see in front of your life. Seek God's presence and priorities and seek them over everything else. I'll say it again. Seek God's presence and priorities and seek them over everything else as if to categorize everything else as secondary. Now, Here's what it's not to say. It's not to diminish that something is valid. It's simply to put it in its rightful place, right? You might have heard the, the definition of idolatry before. It's good things out of order. So having fears and real concerns about how you're going to fill your tank, pay your rent, those things, they, they not only matter, they matter to God. You need to know that. And he desires to meet you right where you're at and to carry you through whatever season that you're in. He cares about the littlest things. As Jesus would say, doesn't God care about the lilies of the field? Right, right. He cares about the little things, but never place those things above the, the reality of the kingdom. So he's saying, seek God's presence and priorities over everything else. Because why? You cannot separate the two. You cannot separate God's presence from his priorities, and you cannot se separate God's priorities from his presence. Meaning it's hard to stay in God's presence when you diminish what he cares about. It's hard to stay in God's presence and disregard what matters to him. And some of us, we do this in church, we do this in life. I have been guilty of doing this where I will want the presence and nearness of God, but I am unwilling to forsake some of the things that keep me from it. So I want God's presence, but I don't wanna give up the things that God says that doesn't belong in my presence. See, we can't separate the priorities and the presence of God. I mean, think about it like, think about it this way. Imagine, okay, imagine if some, this has happened to me, maybe. Imagine if somebody shows up into your house, right? And they got big boots, they've been walking through the mud. Someone's already like, they're, they're shaking. They're like, you can feel it in your soul already. And it's been raining outside and they're walking through the mud, but their hands are full. So they, they kick the door to knock on it. You open the door, hey, what's going on, Joe? And he's like, hey, I got my hands full. And they walk straight in, feet on your carpet, new carpet. Carpet that is not the color of the mud. And they walk all over your carpet 
They don't apologize. They step the stuff down in the kitchen and then they sit on your couch and they put their feet up on the couch. Now, some of you are remembering moments and hate is seeping back into your heart for that person. And I want to invite you to lay that on the altar today. (laughs) But then they're like, hey, um, I need some money. So they go to your drawer, take your wallet, take a 20 out, and they say, thanks. And then they're like, it's a little chilly in here. They turn your thermostat up to 86 because they like it nice and cozy. Now, I've just described a horror movie for some of you. But it's funny because then you'd be like, what, what are you doing? They're like, well, I just want to spend time with you. You say, no, you don't. Because if you wanted to spend time with me, you wouldn't be doing all of these things that make me not want you in my house. You would align yourself to my priorities. I like it at 70, depending on how warm it is outside. And I like my carpet void of mud. And I like my money in my wallet, not yours. But here's what we do is we, we come into God's presence. We order it around our priorities. We take the money that is not ours, it's his. And we think that God now, though he wants to spend time with us, that he does not care about what we bring in. Friends, we cannot separate God's presence from his priorities. And you cannot separate God's priorities from his presence. Because just in the same way, if we try and do all of the right things, void of his presence, it's just as empty. And this is why I or you can go through all of the motions. We can lift our hands, we can give our tithes, things that we ought to do, and yet void of God's presence, void of bringing God into those motives in those moments, then all we are doing is making noise and we're not doing anything to partner with God. You cannot separate God's presence from his priorities. So what are his priorities? I want to give us three essentials for a kingdom first house. Three essentials for a kingdom first house. Number one, we keep Jesus the first person. The first person. It says, seek first his kingdom. What we need to understand, because we're, we're in a, um, a democracy, we're in a, a Western civilization, we don't live in the framework um, constantly where we're thinking about kings and kingdoms. We don't, that's just not our, our mode that we live in. And so oftentimes we, we look at our current lenses and we project that onto how God operates. Like God was not elected. You know what I mean? Like, He wasn't voted in. Like, you can't vote him out. He can vote you out, but you can't vote him out. And what we need to understand, like this this is contrary to the Western way of thinking, is the most important person in the kingdom is the king. The most important person in the kingdom is the king. Why? Because as the king goes, so goes the kingdom. You see this through the Old Testament, don't you? Earthly kings, the ones that did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, the kingdom flourished. Those that did what was wrong in the eyes of the Lord, the kingdom crumbled. And why? Because the most important person in the kingdom is the king. And what we need to understand is that where God's presence, 
the kingship of God is invited, then he in that moment starts to shape the environment that he is in. What we need to understand for our homes, many of you have kids, many of you will have kids. Some of you are single, you live alone. Some of you are retired and your kids are out of the house. Some of you, um, you're, you're in college, wherever you're at, you need to understand that your home and your sphere, your environment, your house, your car, your space that you lead, the influence that you have, when you invite the king into that place, he starts to shape that environment. And Jesus desires, not only desires, but there's kind of no way around it. He wants to be the first person in that kingdom. In your kingdom, in your apartment, in your bedroom, in your bed, in your downstairs, in your time, in your morning, in your parenting, in your marriage, Jesus wants to be the first person, not second. Not second. Like, my, my, I think I shared this a while ago. My parents would say this all the time. My dad would say it like, hey, if, if I ever had to choose between Jesus and your mom, I'm choosing Jesus. And uh, thankfully, he's never had to make that choice. I'm really glad. But it was, it was an often reminder. No, 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 no. Jesus is the first person in our home. I like the way John Tyson says that. I heard this recently. He says, uh, you, you need to make the altar the center of your home and keep the altar burning. This is the, the understanding that we need the presence of God at the center of everything that we do. And Jesus does not apologize for saying, I'm number one in your life. And if he's not, this is an invitation to give him his seat back. Give him his seat back. He's the king of your life. He's the king of this church. And he's the king of the world. It is his throne. It is his kingdom. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Every marriage will submit. Everything, everything comes under the rulership of God. And what we need to do is invite the kingship, the presence, the lordship of Jesus Christ back into the spaces where we have taken the first seat and sit back in the second chair and say, God, I'm here to lead. I'm here to do what you've called me to do. But at the end of the day, you are the number one person in this home. You're the number one person in my life. You are the only person that matters in this place. You are the number one person in my parenting, in my marriage, in my family, in my career. God, you matter more than anything. And if Jesus is not in the first chair, then he's not in your life because he is not going to play second. He will not be second. And I understand we're all on a journey. And friends, this is why Jesus invites, Jesus the King himself invites us into a daily resubmission. I'm thankful for the mercy and grace of God that says, God, I did not get it perfect yesterday. Today I'm ready to take up my cross yet again and follow you. You are my King, you are my Lord, and I submit my life to you. And this is God's invitation. And I'm, let me tell you, and again, this is not guarantee, and I, I don't want to keep harping that, but I need us to understand because we do not get to guarantee everything that happens in it. And oftentimes we see in part, so we don't get the full scope. But oftentimes, and I've seen this over and over, God's presence or lack of it is literally the difference between peace and strife, holiness and anything goes. 
order and chaos, love and hate, fidelity and infidelity, hospitality and isolation. You need God's presence in your life. You need it in your home. You need it in your family. You need it in your marriage. You need it everywhere you go, whether you think you've got this thing on your own or not. You need God as your king. And there is only, that's the only way. So my question for us that can help us to exercise this on the way home is what is the distinguishing factor in my house? Make God's presence the distinguishing, the deciding, the, 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 the separating factor in your home. And I'm all for Halloween. We, uh, we did trunk or treat and trick or treat. Have way too much candy. My son keeps eating it in the middle of the night. And... Um, <laughs> I was putting him down the other day and, and there was like, I, I'm glad it was not, it was a candy bar. It wasn't something else as I'm laying in his bed on top of what I, I'm like, thankfully that's chocolate. But, um, but I remember we, we walked around, we did trick-or-treating in our neighborhood and got to spend time with our neighbors. It was beautiful. And I'm not going to say that Halloween is, you, you do with that what you will, but I will say that Halloween does invite some to reveal with a, a, a bright flag how much the enemy has a hold on their home. And I remember walking up to certain homes and you get to peek in and you get to, you get to like size up their decor, you know what I'm saying? Not their Halloween decor, like, hey, you know, we got good taste. Like, our couch is cooler than theirs. Oh, they got the same thing as us. I don't know. Maybe you don't do that. I do that. But... <laughs> And I remember going to this one house opposite side of our neighborhood and going in there and you could see the, the ghost hovering over like the decoration. And um, I don't know, I don't know them. I don't know this, this particular neighbor, but you could see the ghost hovering over their home and it was like a, 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 an outward picture of how much of a hold the enemy had on their home. And I'm, I'm here to, to remind us to, and, and invite us into a place where we make the presence of God the distinguishing factor in our homes. And I'm not here to bash on Halloween decorations or Christmas decorations, but Jesus is the first seat. He's the first chair. He's the king. Give him his seat back. Amen? But so, so not only do we need to remember the first person, but we need to remember the first priorities. Another, another way to say it might be the first fruits. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, his priorities, what matters to God. And it's not just seeking first, but it's making what matters to God matter to you and not only matter to you, but matter more than anything else matters. It matters that we make what Jesus cares about matter more than what we care about. And again, not to say that we make what we care about not matter, I know this is a tongue twister, but we make what matters to God matter to us more than what matters to us. This is why tithing is so important. And I know, I, I, love, I love that Pastor Steve shared that, that, that story about Alexi and Ed. And the deposit that they made from the beginning. Because, and let me say this, tithing is not 10% of your income. If you've ever heard that, it's not true. Tithing is not 10% of your income. It's not, even in the Old Testament, it was not 10% of your, your, your fruit, your crops. It's the first 10%. And we need to understand that it's either the first 10% or it's not 
a tithe at all. And God invites us, and I know this, maybe we've never heard this before, everybody's on a journey, so submit this to God. Bring it to God, talk to him about it. But God invites us to give the first, the first, the first fruits. This is why tithing teaches us where our priorities are. Because every time I give when I don't have it to give, it's a reminder to myself that I am not the one in control. And when I remind myself of that, God tends to just show up. And I have tithed and had to borrow at time. Like, I'm, again, this is all with the caveat that you don't get to tithe your way into blessing. Like, I don't give so that I get. I give so that I remember. Every time that I tithe, it has nothing to do I don't want to harp on tithing, so I'm going to stop. But every time I tithe, I'm reminding myself where my priorities are, and they are going to align with God's priorities. So tithing is so important. It's such a great opportunity, especially as worry increases. As worry increases, I'm going to double down on what God's priorities are because I either believe God in faith or I don't. And when I trust that God is faithful, when I put my money where my mouth is, quite literally and figuratively, that I'm trusting that God is going to take care of me and do what he said he was going to do. I'm going to invite the band to come forward as we get ready. We're going to do baptisms here in a moment. Jesus, his presence and his priorities in our families, in our lives, in our future planning, it is first or it is not at all. And God's invitation to you and I today is to sit back in the first chair and that his priorities would become our priorities. God, if you prioritize it, I'm gonna prioritize it. I'm gonna start my day. And some of us, this is where we get to get practical, right? And and this is where we get to bring our kids into it. Maybe it's how you start your day. Maybe it's starting with your finances. Maybe it's starting with your, um, your planning for your future. Maybe it's starting with um, the things that you do with your kids in the morning. I don't know what it is for you, but you start to reorder your priorities along the lines of having that spirit as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. Jesus is the first person. We'll start turning some worship music on, right? And again, again, friends, this is not a legalistic, like, this is what I have to do. Otherwise, man, I'm afraid that God's gonna, like, oh, you know, I, I got selfish that one time and I got angry and I had a bad attitude or I forgot or whatever. Like, friends, this is why the goodness of God is so good is that he's not looking over you with a hammer waiting for you to mess up, but he's inviting you to invite him back into the first chair. God, oh, God, Create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit in me. God, uh, search me and know my thoughts. Where is weakness in me? Where is anger in me? Where is bitterness in me? Where is selfishness in me? Where is frugality in me? Where is isolation in me? God, root it out. It might take you a while, but I'm willing to acknowledge that I need you to take care of this for me. God, I need you to work this out of me. And this is the beauty of God's process and his presence, his spirit, is that he will work on you until the day that you die. But God's invitation, start your day, spend your money, spend your time, teach your kids, order your week, 
Say yes to inconvenient things and say no to things that you used to say yes to. To literally order your entire life around the person and the priorities of Jesus. You might say, why? Because the ultimate recipe for what Jesus is getting at is the insecurities and the fears and the worries of his people. And I wanna say that there are some people in here today that are freaking out. You're afraid and, um, and it's super cool that we have social media so we can be constantly aware of every wrong thing ever. That was sarcastic. It is not super cool. It's the worst. Because all it does is sow seeds of fear and anxiety and worry and anger and bitterness. We hate people that we used to love. We freak out. What's the world coming to? And honestly, I feel it. I don't know. But I do know that there's a king. And when I order my life around his presence and his priorities... He tends to stay king. And I would rather live under the kingship of a God who knows what he's doing than take control of this thing myself and isolate, do this my own, like that make, make it up to me, my own wisdom and my own gifts and my own strength and my own planning and my own finances and my, my, my. Friends, I'm like a decent human, but I, I, I'm not a good king. And some of you are better kings than I am, but you're still not a good king. There's one king. And if you have worry, if you have fears, if you have anxieties, today your invitation is to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all of the things that you will eat, drink, and wear, representing all of the, the, the needs of humanity, that you'd be clothed, that you would be able to interact with humanity, that you'd have everything that you need, the sustenance that you need, that that everything that you need, God will take care of that. And when you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, you're putting your money where your mouth is and saying, God, I trust you over everything else. Be wise with your money. Maybe don't spend the same things that you used to on clothing or on food. Sure, be wise, but make sure you order your trust. Your trust is not in your spending. Your trust is in God. Your trust is not in your quality of parenting. Your trust is in God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Maybe you're here today. We're getting ready to baptize. I don't invite the ushers to take the lid off as we get ready to see a couple this morning. Maybe today you're ready to reorder your life around Jesus and make him first. Give him his seat back. Maybe you're ready to give him his seat back today. All I need you to do is put your hand in your heart. I know it's a lot of us in here. And and friends, this is not an admission of Jesus is not the Lord of your life, but it might be he hasn't been the Lord of my money. He hasn't been the Lord of my mornings. And I want to invite him into that space. There's been a void in my life. I'm going to invite him into that space. Maybe you're worried today. Would you put your hand on your heart? If you have any anxiety, maybe, you got, maybe you're anxious about where your kids are going. 
you're struggling there, would you put your hand in your heart? God, I pray for every person who's afraid, every person who's worried, anxious, even people, God, who are struggling with suicidal ideations based on the world that they are living in, and it seems overwhelming. God, I thank you that you are bringing clarity where there's confusion. You're bringing peace where there's chaos. And in these moments, God, we determine not to perfection, but we determine to put you in the first chair, to give you your seat back and allow you to be king of our lives, king of our homes, king of our fatherhoods. If you're a dad, would you put your hand on your heart? God, as, as fathers, we need your strength. We need your leadership. And we know, God, so for many of us, we feel the, the, the God-given desire to take care of our, our families and protect and to lead and to nurture and to provide for. That is given by you. But the one thing we cannot do is be the king of our home, you are. So God, I pray that even the strongest of dads would give you the first seat. God, that in our parenting and in everything that we do, as men and women, young and old, that you would be the king of our homes, that your altar would take center stage in our homes, that your presence of God, that your presence would begin to change everything. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen, amen. All right, well, we're gonna do some baptisms. Can we give it up for these baptisms?